You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. I'm glad to see you. I'm glad you came back after last week. Welcome. We have been the past several weeks in a series called Steady Faith. And we have taken some time to look at how to steady our faith and what is it that steadies our faith. But I want to finish out the series this morning, this series today, by asking the question, who is it that steadies our faith? We've looked at the how, we've looked at the what, but let's look at the who, the one who steadies our faith. And of course, it's Jesus. And today, I would like just to remind you through his word, who he is, what he has done, what he is doing, and why this king can steady our faith during very difficult times. Uh, G.K. Chesterton is an incredible uh, thinker and um, author and theologian. And he said, let your religion be less of a theory and more of a love affair. Let your religion be less of a theory, less cold facts, and let it be more of a love affair. Let it be more of a relationship. Just a little side note, usually uh, in summertime, I encourage you with a couple of titles of books that you might want to read. So if you've been looking for a book to read this summer, I would recommend to you a book by G.K. Chesterton by the name of The Everlasting Man. The Everlasting Man. It was actually the book that C.S. Lewis read, which turned his heart to Jesus, which turned his heart toward Christianity. Everlasting Man by G.K. Chesterton. It tells about the, the unfolding consequences or benefits of the kingdom of God in history. And how the world was never the same again once Jesus came. But again, he said, let your religion be less of a theory and more of a love affair. The great goal for today would be for you to love Jesus more 30 minutes from now than you do right now. The great goal for today would for you to have a passion stirred in your heart for Jesus more so than you even do in the present. That you'd be more aware of, of his mercy and his might, of his kindness and his kingship. That today you might be moved and turning your heart for his compassion and his capabilities. So would you turn with me, please, to the great book of Hebrews. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 1 together. Hebrews is in the New Testament, about three-fourths of the way back in the New Testament. It's after the five books that start with the letter T, First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and then Hebrews. It's nine books from the end of the Bible, if that helps to get you there. Or there's never any shame in going to the table of contents at the beginning, if that helps out. So let's go to the book of Hebrews together. Let's go to chapter 1. Let's go to verse 1. I always encourage you to have God's Word with you, whether it be in print form or digital form. And let's look at God's living, active Word together. This is His flawless Word to us. Hebrews chapter 1. Let's begin in verse 1. It begins like Star Wars. Long ago. Long ago, at many times and in many ways. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Let's stop just in verse one and verse two for a moment. To Noah, it was revealed that the Messiah would come from his sons, from one of his sons. To Abraham, it was revealed that Messiah would come through one of his sons. To, to David, it was revealed that the Messiah would come through one of his sons. To Jacob, it was revealed that the Messiah would come through one of his sons. 
To Micah, it was revealed where this would happen, what city it would be in. To Daniel, it was revealed when this would happen. To Malachi, it was revealed the, the name or, the, or the, the forerunner to Christ. There would be a forerunner to the Messiah. I mean, all of these in the Old Testament that we kind of see spoken of there in verse 1, everyone had their bits and pieces. Each knew only a part of Christ until Christ came. And now those, those many and many partial re- revelations of God are over. The shadows are replaced by substance. And Christ has come as the fullness of God. If you're taking notes today, either in the margin of your Bible or maybe in a notebook you brought or a piece of paper you brought, you can write this down first. There's three things I want us to see today about Jesus. Here's the first thing. Jesus is the final and the full voice of God. He is the final voice of God. He is the full voice of God. Now, he is more than that, but he's not less than that. In verse 1 and verse 2 are or a contrast between how God spoke to his people in the Old Testament and how God speaks to his people in the New Testament, of how God uh, was, was active in the Old Testament and how God is active in the New Testament. So look back in your Bible. Let's look at verse 1 again. Let's see in verse 1 how it speaks of the God of the Old Testament and how he spoke to his people. There's a comparison between verse 1 and verse 2 on how God dwelt or, or dealt with and communicated with his people. So long ago... At many times and in many ways. The so verse one says that God in the past, long ago, many times or many ways, your Bible might say in different ways or in various ways. Um, I'm gonna give you a couple of Greek words today. The, the word for many or for many ways is the word uh, polytropos. Poly means many. That probably sounds familiar to most of you. Tropos means, means diverse pieces or partial pieces. So in a lot of different pieces and a lot of diversities, God was beginning to relate his love and his redemption and his mercy and his redemptive plan for mankind through the Old Testament in many times and in many ways and in different ways and in in various ways. To, To Moses, he spoke through a burning bush. Through Elijah, to Elijah, he spoke through a still, small voice. There in the temple, he began to speak to Isaiah in in a vision. To Hosea, he spoke to Hosea through the family circumstances. To Amos, he spoke through through a bowl of fruit. I mean, God spoke in many different ways, many different places, many variety of ways to speak to his people. But look at verse 2 because it begins, at least in the ESV, with the word but. Or your Bible may begin with the word now. Now God speaks in one way. You see, verse 1, it was many times, many ways, different ways, various ways. But now in verse 2, God speaks in one way, and this personal God speaks through his son. Look what it says here in verse 2. Your Bible probably uses this phrase also, in the last days. The last days refers from the writing of Hebrews until the end of time which means we're in that window right now. So last days would be where we are right now until the end of time. There is no more final and no more fuller expression of God than Jesus himself. Who gave Jesus the authority to be the expression of God? Who gave Jesus, and what authority does he say here, or do we understand here that Jesus is the voice of God, the final voice of God, the full expression of God? Look at verse 2. It says that Christ is the heir, which means that he possesses everything that God possesses. It says here, through whom also, as if we needed one more thing, through whom also, through Christ, God created the world. 
Some might be thinking right now, wait a minute, I thought it was God who created the world, not, not Jesus who created the world. But even from this, we understand God was the power behind creation, but Christ was the agent of creation. He is the artist of creation. And it says in verse 2 that he created the world. Now, your Bible might say he created the universe. Normally in the New Testament, when the word world is used or the word world is used, it's the Greek word that you'll recognize also, cosmos, our English word cosmos. But cosmos means like the physical planets, the physical stars, the, the things that are around us that are seen, the, 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 the atmosphere and, and the things that are physical in, in nature around us. But that's not the word that the Holy Spirit told the author of Hebrews to use. The word right here is not the word cosmos, it's the word aeon, where we get our English word um, eon which means that it was not just that God created the physical world through Christ, but the word aeon means the eternal things, the the things that we cannot see, the things that last forever, the ages that we cannot see. And so this is a Christ who is the heir of all things, the possessor of all that God possesses. He is the creative artist of creation, and he created the things we do not even see, the things that last forever, the things that are Eternal Jesus, you see, is the final voice of God. He is the full voice of God. Let's see what this means to us practically this morning. Here's the thing I want you to see is that God wants to communicate with us. I don't know about you, that's good news, that the God of the ages, the God who is eternal, the God who exists in unapproachable light, he desires to communicate with us. This is remarkable, inexplicable, marvelous, mysterious news. That the God of all ages wants to communicate with you, wants to communicate with me. This is his heart. In fact, this is what we see in verse 1 and verse 2. He has always desired to communicate with his people. He's always desired to communicate with his prized, beloved creation, which is humanity. God desires to know us. God desires to communicate with us. But here is the second part of that. But it is only fully through Jesus. God desires to communicate with us, but it's only fully through Christ. Now, creation communicates some. The law communicates some. Prophets and and priests and pastors communicate some, but it's fully through Christ, fully through Jesus. This Jesus who is revealed to us by the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Listen, the Bible is flat if you read it without Christ, but it's full for the one who reads it, who is in Christ. The the Bible is merely information for those who read it who are outside of Christ, but the Bible is fully transformational for those who read it who are in Christ Jesus. God wants to communicate with us, but we see here that it is now through his son, through Christ, that he has spoken to us. Let's look at verse three. Now, let me just warn you, verse three is is nosebleed theology. This is such a high view of Jesus, such a high esteeming of his name and his attributes. You'll find it difficult to find any other place in the Bible that speaks of Jesus in such high terms. Look at verse three. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Let's just stop right there. Who is Jesus that our passions might be stirred for him today? He is the radiance of the glory of God. In other words, Jesus is not any less than God. He is not any less than the full, weighty, brilliant, radiant, bright glory of God. This is where Christianity 
and Jehovah Witnesses divide. This is where Christianity and Mormonism divides. For Jehovah Witness say that Jesus is God, but he is a God, which means he's a lesser God. Mormons would say that Jesus is on the progress or the procession to becoming deity one day. That is why a Mormon would say also, you as a Mormon, we're also in procession, in progress to one day be a God. But you see, this is not what scripture tells us. Jesus is not a lesser God. He wasn't progressing on his way to deity. What does it say about him in verse three? Let me say it again. He is. He is the radiance of the glory of God. In other words, he is the extension of God's fame. He is the extension of God's grandeur. He is the extension of God's preeminence. And if those words are a little too big for second graders who are here or a few adults who are here, let me put it this way. Jesus is God shining. He is God shining. The brilliance, the weightiness, the power, the radiant glory of God. Now, every now and then, I throw the NIV under the bus, and I'm about to do it again. So let me throw the NIV under the bus. Let me throw the New American Standard under the bus also for just a second, those translations, because it says in your translations here that Jesus is the representation of God. Let me tell you why I don't like that word, and maybe it's just because of the democracy that, that we live in. We think a representative is someone who is sent to another place on our behalf, but that representative may not look like the represented It might just be a senator that we send to D.C. or a representative that we send down to Austin. But that does not mean that they are exactly like us, that they think exactly like us, or that they are us. So I don't like the word necessarily representation there. I do like, however, no surprise, how the ESV renders this, exact imprint. I think the Holman Standard Bible says the exact impression. Jesus is the exact impression imprint of God. Jesus is the exact impression of God. He's not just a representative of God. In other words, he's not just an emissary who came here just to tell us about God. This is important, Highland. He is God. He is fully God. He is the exact imprint of God. He is the exact impression of God. And here's your second Greek word for the day. This is how we know he's not just somebody sent from God that just happens to be from God, but that he is God. Because the word right here for imprint or impression or the word even NIV, NAS, the representation is the word car, auteur. I can say that two or three times and you'll catch it. Car, auteur, or car, auteur, character. In fact, this is point number two. I'll make it easy for you. Jesus is the very character of God. Jesus is the very impression of God, the exact impression of God. Jesus is the imprint of God, the exact imprint of God. I don't think it goes far enough to say that he's just a representative of God. In fact, he is the very character of God. So if you're in here today, you're watching online today, and you have the question, is is God loving All we have to do is look to the character of Jesus. Jesus indeed was loving. He loved people. In fact, hear me clearly. He loved all people. Therefore, God loves people. God loves all people because Jesus is the very character 
of God. If you ask the question, does God care about me? Maybe sometimes you think in his eternality or in his busyness, or maybe you feel so small, you have to wonder, does God really care about me? Who should we look at? We should look at Jesus. Jesus cared for people, especially those who are disillusioned by life. So you can answer the question, does God care about me? Yes, he cares about you because Jesus cares about you and Jesus is the very character of God. Does God give mercy? Maybe some are here today and you're in full need of mercy. Does God distribute mercy? Well, we can look to Jesus. He distributed mercy to people at the worst times of their lives. Therefore, because Jesus is the very character of God, we know that God distributes mercy. Can God forgive my sin, even my sin, even a big sin, even a sin that I never want to talk about again? Can God forgive that sin? Well, what kind of servant heart does Christ have toward those who are sinful? Jesus forgives sin. He came to forgive sin. In fact, he came to seek and to save those who are sinners, those who are lost. So if Jesus forgives sin, then we can look at him. He's the very nature, the very character of God, the exact imprint of God. Therefore, I have good news for you. God does forgive your sin. There was a boy in, in a kid's Sunday school class, and he was drawing a picture, and the uh, teacher looked over his shoulder and said, what, what are you drawing a picture of? And the little boy said, so I'm, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher kind of laughed a little bit and said, you you can't draw a picture of God. Like, no one has seen God. We don't know what he looks like. And the little boy said, they will after I get done with my picture. <laughs> I mean, that's really the story of Jesus. Want to know what God looks like? Want to know his heart? Want to know his character? Want to know if his love, his mercy, his capabilities of forgiving any sin, all sin? Look to Jesus. Then we know what God looks like. If you want to know God, look to Jesus. And I think probably, I think every heart in this room desires to know the one who created you. Ecclesiastes says it's because God has put eternity in our hearts. I think every one of us in this room, we want to know the one who made us. We want to know the one who created us. We want to know the one who created all things. We want to know the one who holds our future. You can know that God by knowing the Son Jesus Christ, who is the very character of God. Listen to what Jesus says. You'll see this on the screen behind me in John chapter 14, verses seven through nine. Jesus said, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. And I love verse eight, because have you been in a meeting before where someone gave the information and the very next question that was asked was a question about the information that was just given. Have you been in a meeting before when someone said, hey, let's meet again tomorrow at nine o'clock and a hand shoots up and says, what time shall we meet tomorrow? Philip kind of did this right here, right? Jesus just said, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen me. And Philip says, Lord, show us the father. That, it, that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, so important. This is a key scripture in New Testament theology. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. You see, Jesus is the very character of God. He's the very essence of God because he is God. The exact imprint of God, the very character 
of God. So if you're here today and you long to know God, or you're watching online and you long to know God, really the longing you have is to know Jesus. Here's beautiful news. You can know God by knowing Christ. Look at the rest of verse three. Let me read the beginning of it for you again. He is, Christ is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of God's nature. And look what Christ does. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Wow, he upholds the universe. Here's your last Greek word of the day. The word uphold right there is the Greek word pharaoh. And Pharaoh has some very interesting meanings. It means to bear. It means to carry. It means to sustain. It means to bring forth. And so this same Christ, who is in the very character of God, he upholds the universe. He bears the universe. He sustains the universe. He carries the universe. He brings forth the universe. He brings forth all things. This is the third and last thing I want you to see this morning about this Jesus that we may love him more, that our passions might be stirred more for him today. And here it is, write this down if you want to. Jesus is the steady sustainer. He sustains all things. He upholds all things. With what? With his word. Just a word of his power. He sustains the universe. So in our series of steady faith, as I said to you earlier, we've looked at a lot of things on, on what steadies our faith and how to steady your faith, but I needed to end the sermon series on this because he, the who of the steady, is the most important one. Christ is the one who steadies our faith during the most difficult times in life. During lacking instability in our nation or in your heart or in your home or in your marriage or in your relationships, Jesus is the steady sustainer. Let me show you how. One, he holds all things together. He holds all things together. Paul would write the church at Colossae in Colossians chapter one, verse 17, just this small little phrase, and Jesus holds all things together. The beauty of that is all things equals all things. He holds everything together. He holds the seen together and the unseen. He holds the, the atoms together and he holds the galaxies together. He holds the minuscule together. He holds the majestic together. He holds together those things that are in light and he holds together those things that are in darkness. This is Christ who sustains and bears and carries and holds all things together. But let's move it from science Let's move from astronomy to your world, your life, your morning, your week. Not only does he hold all things together, this is good news. This is practical right here. He holds you together. And aren't you glad he holds you together? Because I know that in this room, there are some of us that think, I can't take one more day, one more hurt, one more disappointment. I'm just gonna fall apart. Good news, Christian? No, you won't. Because not only does he hold the universe together, he holds you together. That's a good, pragmatic word for your Monday morning. When you think, if I just hear one more news cycle, I'm done. If I get one more word of bad news, I'm gonna fall apart. Great news, Christian. Not only does he hold the worlds together, he holds you together. 
And here's the last thing, and this is so key for us to understand and to believe together. Not only does he hold all things together, not only does he hold you together, he holds our salvation forever. He holds your salvation, Christian, forever. I want us to look. We're in Hebrews chapter 1. Would you go just a few pages over to the right and go to Hebrews chapter 12 with me? A very key, very very powerful chapter in the New Testament, in the entire Bible. Hebrews chapter 12. Would you go there with me and look at verse 2? It's going to pick up in the middle of a sentence. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. This is our, our aim for today anyway. The, the goal of this morning, really the, the goal of this week Verse two, in the middle of a sentence, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, the founder and protector of our faith. The word founder means the leader of our faith. It means the prince of our faith. It means the captain of our faith. And faith right here is that faith unto salvation. So Christ is the leader of our salvation, the founder of our salvation, the perfecter of our salvation, the prince of our salvation, the captain of our salvation. Here's what I want everyone to walk away with, uh, with this truthful knowledge today. The same Jesus who saved you is the same Jesus who keeps you. This should steady our faith. I'm like the old theologians of old that said, if I could lose my salvation, I would every day. If I could lose my salvation, I would. Do, do you know yourself well enough to be able to say that? I can say it. If I could lose my salvation, Highland, I would be losing it all the time. Here's good news. It's not my salvation to lose. It belongs to the Lord, which is why the elders and the angels and the saints of heaven sing that song Salvation belongs to our God and to the one who sits upon the throne. If we could lose it, we would all lose it. But you see, we're not the captain of our salvation. We're not the founder of our salvation. We're not the prince or princesses of salvation. Jesus is the captain of our salvation, the leader of our salvation. You see, Highland, this is our king This is the king who knows you, who loves you, who rescued you, who steadies our faith. And this king is the Lord. He holds the galaxies together, the universes together, the seen and the unseen. And please be assured of this. He holds you together. And you will not lose your salvation for Christ is the captain of your salvation. He holds our salvation forever. Would you stand up with me, please, and let's pray together. Jesus, it is not a formula. It's not just sets of principles. It is you who steadies our faith in days and seasons of turmoil, tribulation, uncertainty, instability, much like the season we are in right now as not only a nation, but as citizens of this world. You hold everything together. You hold us together. Our affections for you are stirred when we realize that you are the final voice of God. You are the full voice of God. 
You're sustaining the universe. Therefore, you're sustaining us. You're carrying the weight of the universe. Therefore, you are carrying us. In Jesus, in you, we see, we know the very character of God. You are not a lesser God. You are God. You're not progressing toward deity. Jesus, you are the Lord. The Lord of the ages, the Lord of the universe, the Lord of our salvation, the Lord of the church, the Lord of our hearts. So God, this week, we can know you by knowing Jesus. We can know your heart toward us by seeing Christ's heart for us the exact imprint, the exact nature. So Holy Spirit, tune our hearts now to sing your praise. Because we have read your word in the name of Christ and we're praying in the name of Christ and now we're gonna sing in the name of Christ for who he is Yes, what he has done, but also what he is doing. Jesus, we praise your name in this place with joy and with enthusiasm, with our hearts stirred for the king of the universe and the king of our hearts. In that name we pray and we sing together.